Isaiah chapter 9. What a joy to open the Word of God together this morning. Uh, If you weren't here last week, we have started our series, our Advent series that we're calling The Given Son, and we are going to be in Isaiah 9, uh, verse 6 and 7, this entire Advent season. Advent is all about looking to the coming of Christ. We're looking with adoration at Him and His excellency and His first coming, and it creates in us this anticipation and longing for Him to return again. And as a reminder, before we dive into this text, this promise concerning the coming Son of David. Last week we looked at how the government, the kingdom of God, would rest on the shoulders of the promised Son of David, who was the Christ to come, and how Jesus fulfilled that in establishing and bringing His reign to the earth and now establishing His kingdom in the hearts of men. This, this promise concerning the coming Son of David was given over 730 years before Jesus was born. A lot of people think Isaiah was written way later than it was because it's so stunning in its exact description of the Christ that uh, people just discount it as written after the fact or that these promises were somehow added in later because they are so exact. So Isaiah chapter 9, I'm just going to read verse 6 this morning, so stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word if you're physically able. We'll be in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. This is the word of the Lord. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that you have not left us without a witness, that you have revealed yourself to us in Christ, who is himself the very wisdom of God. I pray now that as we come to your word, your wonderful counsel itself, that you would truly be our wonderful counselor, that you would speak to our hearts and that you would find in us uh, a humble faith that trembles at your word and longs to receive it and to obey it. God, would you come and pierce by your word, convict us of sin, and lead us in your way everlasting. We love you and long to hear from you now. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The title of this morning's message is Our Wonderful Counselor. Christmas comes to people in need of hope and in need of wisdom that we don't possess. This is true all the time, but I think a lot of times people feel that sense of hope or that sense of longing or that sense of needing counsel, needing answers. And so you'll have people attend churches or kind of get into this Christmas spirit and they're, they're looking for hope, they're looking for answers. It comes to a people in need of counseling. Now, there are two truths, there's probably way more, but there are at least two truths about counseling that stand out to me the most. One is that everyone needs it, and two, that there is a stigma around having it or needing it. So everyone needs it because we are all in sin, and we all sin 
way more than we know of and we need wisdom way more than we know that we need it. So you may need counseling and not even know it or realize it, but we resist it because we have this self-sufficiency that doesn't like to ask for help. It doesn't like to need wisdom from outside of ourselves. And we try to deal with our problems and our sorrows or our sin on our own. But we know, if we're honest with ourselves, that we desperately need wisdom and help from outside of ourselves. Now, if you were to go to therapy or counsel in the world, they will direct you to try to find answers in your past or answers in yourself. But counsel from the Word of God calls us to look away from ourselves and to look to Christ. So it was in Isaiah's day. To a people walking in the darkness of their unbelief came the promise of a Savior who is named Wonderful Counselor. So our first observation this morning, if you're taking notes, is that this Wonderful Counselor is the wisdom of God eternal. Now, names are important. They're important in the Bible. They're important in life. This may not, this may be a shock to you because usually if you think about naming your kids, it was some late night thing. For me, it's like my wife rattling off a bunch of different non-serious options until we roll up on one that is like, hey, that, I actually like, kind of like that. Uh, some of you may be of the kind where you wait until you have to see the baby and the, like the baby somehow mysteriously communicates the name to you when you see the face. Um, and, and that becomes like the nameless baby for about a week while you guys are trying to decide. But in the Word of God, we see naming as a mark of authority. So God gives Adam the right as the ruler of the world to name everything else in his creation. And names can point to circumstances at birth or to some truth about God. So you can see this. Isaac's named Laughter. Um, but there's other names. Jesus' name itself means Yahweh saves. He is salvation. So names can point to some circumstances or to some truth about God. But at the bottom, names are a marker of identity. It's who, who those people are. And so some of these names are like a prophetic word or a blessing over their life as to who this person is going to be. But giving someone your name is an invitation for people to know you. It's, if you think about it, you're introducing yourself and you're saying, you can call me this. This is how I am called. Now, God has many names that reveal his character and his ways. He has called many different things. But unlike other parts of creation that receive their names from someone else in authority over them, God has always been named all that he has named because he never changes and there is no one who has authority over him. And when God tells someone one of his names, he is revealing himself to them. He is telling us something about himself that he wants you to know. He is communicating to you who he is. And so, in our text this morning, we are focusing in on the fact that this promised son of David, the king to come, his name is Wonderful Counselor. Now, I highlighted this last week, but I want to drill down on it again this morning, that this is not saying that his name will be at some point in the future when he arrives, it will be Wonderful Counselor. The language of the text is, his name is Wonderful Counselor, that 
730 years before Christ was ever born, he is from all of eternity the one who is wonderful counselor. Jesus in John 8 told the religious rulers before Abraham was, I am. Meaning, before there was Abraham who you revere as the the father of this nation, I am the God who existed from all of eternity, the self-sufficient one, the one whose very name by which he revealed himself to Moses means I always am who I have been. I am the uncreated one, the self-existent, exalted one. And so we have to ask ourselves this morning, what does it mean then that from the beginning Jesus is named Wonderful Counselor? Now some of these terms lose some of their luster for us. You read it in the text and you have to guard yourself from applying kind of our modern day equivalents of these words. So when we hear wonderful, maybe at this time of year you think, Handel's Messiah about singing about this very thing, or it's a wonderful life, or Paul McCartney's wonderful Christmas time, right? It can have a lot of different kinds of meanings to wonderful. But the term wonderful is a reference to his divine excellence. It implies being glorious beyond comprehension. It, it literally is a, like boggling to the mind. So its root is in the word wonders, as in... Exodus 15, 11, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? There is no one like him. All of his deeds alone have this godlike quality, miraculous quality to them that are so far beyond our comprehension. He is wonderful. You may recall a text in the book of Judges where the angel of the Lord appears to Samuel, I mean, Samson's parents, and he's promising that God has heard the prayers of Samson's mother and was giving to them a, a son. And the angel of the Lord says to Manoah, Samson's father, he, he asks him, what is your name? Can I have your name? And the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ himself, we know that because when they fall down to worship him, he doesn't tell them to stop. Right? Anytime you see an angel and somebody bows down to him in the Old Testament, angels tell them to stop and not to do that, and the pre-incarnate son receives the worship. And so Samson's father asks him his name, and the angel of the Lord says to him, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? And he's saying to him, why do you ask? It is divine beyond your comprehension, beyond what you have ability to perceive or understand. So the given son is wonderful. He is divine. This is God in the flesh. But what does it mean that he is our counselor? In, in Old Testament times, this is going to be mind-boggling to you given our current state of leadership in our nation. But in Old Testament times, one of the roles or functions of good kings was to give counsel to the people, to give to them wisdom from God. Now, in our current setup, we usually see people libel and slander each other on the way to office and then turn around and, like, you're supposed to just receive from them wisdom. And they establish policies or rules or laws, but we are a far cry from being able to go to our leaders as a source of wisdom from God. 
wise counsel, but that was the role of kings, not just to rule over God's people, but to actually be a source of wisdom itself where they could go to the king and receive wisdom from God. You can see this when the prophet Micah cries out over Jerusalem before the Babylonian captivity in Micah 4.9. He says, is there no king in your midst? Has your counselor perished? So this is a reference to the the kingship of the coming son, that this is a, a role of the coming king as a function of his lordship is that he would be the one to give counsel to his people. You can also see this reality in Solomon being a type of the son of David who to come. He who was the embodiment of wisdom. This was at the beginning of his rule, maybe not after he acquired 500 wives, but before that, he was actually the embodiment of wisdom, and people would come from all over to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And it was practical, functional, divine wisdom. In 1 Kings 3, verse 34, it says, People of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. So putting all this together, the son of David to come would be God's king, who would be the source of divine wisdom itself. He has been and is from all of eternity the wisdom of God, and he has been our wonderful counselor. I don't, I think for some of us, some of us are more prone to understand Jesus as divine and being eternal, and it's not as hard for you to imagine him being the ruler of all and the Lord of all and God in the flesh. And then others, it's not hard for you to imagine Jesus being a man and being someone who came in history, but it's hard for you to imagine him living from all of eternity. And he brings both of these together as what Christmas tells us, that before Jesus was ever the baby in the manger, he was the word from the beginning, the one who was in the beginning with God, creating everything that has been made. It was by his wisdom that the heavens were made, that God created the world and everything in it. Proverbs 8 describes wisdom personified, and it's a description of God the Son with the Father from eternity past saying, I was with him at creation, and I was daily his delight as I was his workman, creating everything that has been made. In Romans 11, Paul ends this talk of the wisdom of God and his plan for salvation for Jews and Gentiles, he says, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. They're past finding out. And then he says, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? For from him and through him and to him or all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. So that, that is where we have to start as we talk about Jesus being a wonderful counselor, where we would say, yes, oh, the depths of the wisdom and the riches of the knowledge of God. There is no one who is his counselor that all wisdom and all knowledge belong to him, and they are beyond our finding out that there is no bottom to the sea of his wisdom or his counsel, that 
His wisdom and counsel are high above us, but the Lord Jesus is infinitely higher than all of that. And that no one could know God apart from his gracious condescension to us. And so that is where we go next, is that, yes, Jesus is our wonderful counselor, the wisdom of God from all of eternity. But he is our wonderful counselor, the wisdom of God incarnate. Consider the context. If you weren't here last week, we talked about how this promise came in Isaiah's time, 730 years before Christ came, to a people that had rejected the word of God and were living in the darkness of their unbelief. They were seeking out wisdom and counsel from necromancers and seeking out wisdom from the dead on behalf of the living. In Isaiah 8, verse 19 and 20, they are rebuked, saying, Should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. Now, this is the greatest form of darkness. They actually had revelation from God that they rejected the light of God's revelation and were living in the darkness of their own unbelief. And 400 years before Christ came, revelation from God was completely shut off and the people lived in 400 years of absolute silence from God. They had the promises of God, but they waited in the dark. And they were waiting for him who would himself be the revelation of God, divine wisdom itself, the, the king who is coming to restore people to his reign so that we might come to him as citizens of his kingdom to our king for divine counsel, for wonderful counsel. And so in Isaiah 9, Isaiah opens up this chapter with this prophecy, those who have dwelled in darkness will see a great light. And we saw last week that that was true in Matthew 4 when Jesus came to the region of Galilee and those who were living in darkness saw the light of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And in Luke 2, verse 32, I want you to see this connection between those dwelling in darkness seeing a great light being a reference to Jesus coming and revealing the Father to us revealing the plan of God and his salvation to us. So we're seeing the wisdom of God made flesh and revealed so that we see God's wisdom and his plan from all of eternity in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So in Luke 2, when Simeon, who had been waiting for the consolation of Israel, sees Christ Jesus as a baby, he says, he calls Jesus a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So this great light that the people living in darkness would see is a light of revelation. It is the same when God reveals his name to us, he's telling us something about himself. In that same way, Jesus was coming to reveal the Father to us, to give us wisdom from God that was past finding out how inscrutable his ways. His wisdom is beyond our understanding, beyond our finding out. And unless he condescends to reveal himself to us, we will not find him. 
in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus speaks to the religious leaders saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus is coming as the wisdom of God to reveal the Father to us. He tells his disciples, why do you say to me, show us the Father? If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. He came to reveal to us what God is like and to reveal to us his wisdom and his plan for the salvation of the world and for reconciling all things to himself. And he does it in a way that seems like foolishness to the natural mind. The wisdom of God is wiser than man and beyond our comprehension. It truly is wonderful. He came to reveal the mystery of God's wisdom and redemptive history. And when the Bible talks about mystery, it's not saying that there's some riddle for you to solve, but that there are secret counsels that God has planned that he reveals over time. And before he unfolds it, it is a mystery. The prophets who prophesied these things long ago, they would look ahead and they would look to see where these things that they were prophesying would come true, but it was mysterious to them. It was unclear to them, God's plan of salvation in Christ. But in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, we read, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Before Christ came, we received wonderful counsel from God concerning the coming of Christ and concerning the wisdom of God and salvation, but the prophet saw through a glass dimly. It was not clear to them, but now in Christ, he has unfolded this mystery, this wisdom of God that was hidden from everyone in ages past, but now he has spoken to us and made it clear. He came to win his people back and to restore the world to perfect order, but he did it not with the wisdom of the world, not how you and I would have drawn it up. If we were to think, how would one come and save the world and rescue them from sin? And how would you conquer the devil? And how would you establish a kingdom on the earth? Well, he came according to his wonderful counsel. He came loving sinners. He came healing and preaching and serving. He came demonstrating power and authority over demonic forces and over the rulers of the day. And how he won and established his rule was by dying and by rising again. Who in their wisdom would have ever drawn it up this way? His counsel is wonderful. In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul writes, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ 
is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The cross of Christ is the greatest demonstration of the power of God and the wisdom of God. It is where we see the wonderful counsel of God at its apex and climax, where the wonderful counselor himself is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. And he offered himself in the place of foolish sinners who would never come to God on their own, who would never find a way of salvation on their own, who could never earn their way to God or find him. And Jesus came and revealed the Father to us, not just in his teaching and in his perfect life, but in giving his life as a ransom for many, according to the perfect wisdom of God. But he gloriously rises from the dead so that now in him, Paul writes in Ephesians 1, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of God's grace, listen to this, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So it is not just that Jesus is our wonderful counselor as like a source of counsel for my daily life and my needs. Jesus is the revelation of God's perfect wisdom that he came so that all things might be redeemed and restored and made new and be united in Christ the Son. So Jesus came to reveal the wisdom of God to us and to show us the way to peace with God and to the knowledge of God. And he came to show us that he is the continual way to the Father. This is the labor of pastors and disciple makers and everyone who seeks to teach Christ as the wisdom of God in all of life. But Paul verbalizes and expresses this in Colossians chapter 2 when he says he's struggling and praying over the Colossian church so that they might reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ. He's saying, I'm laboring and struggling in prayer and over your life until you understand this wisdom of God and his plan of salvation to unite all things to himself by his own blood. And then he says, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So you just think about that. That if there's any wisdom, if there is any knowledge, it is hidden in Christ. There are a lot of places that we go to for wisdom in the world. Uh, in real common terms, that means that your time knowing Christ in his word should outpace your time on Google. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and he is the wonderful counselor, listen, given to us. So you have 
these breathtaking realities that in Christ is hidden how you know God, how you know his will and his way for your life in the world, how you can have peace with God. He is life itself, and he is beyond your finding out, beyond your comprehension. He is truly wonderful, and he is given to you. He came to show you the way to the Father, to light the way to peace with God and to the knowledge of God. And now he sits on his throne as the highest of all the kings of the earth. He rules over all the universe until he comes again and establishes his reign forever on the earth. And the only time that we have an explicit reference to Jesus saying, I counsel you in the Bible comes in Revelation chapter 3. I couldn't leave it off because I think it comes to us this Christmas. It, it came. Now, don't read into anything in this unless you feel the Holy Spirit telling you to. It came to a lukewarm church that thought it didn't need his counsel. That's where Jesus' counsel came to Just like in Isaiah 9, this promise comes to a people who are rejecting the counsel of God and rejecting the wisdom of God and rejecting any promises of God. And into that rejection, God gives them the, he doubles down on his promises. He doubles down on his grace and his kindness. This church at Laodicea said, we are rich and we have need of nothing. It is a picture of spiritual pride where we feel self-sufficient. You have enough of God. So we just come to God as we feel like we have needs, but we don't feel like we have that much need, and so we just coast. Jesus comes to them saying, I wish that you were either hot or cold, but you're lukewarm, and I will spit it out of my mouth. I will spew you out of my mouth unless you repent. And so what does he say to that church? Now, in the midst of his counsel to them, he says, I love you. That's why I'm disciplining you and reproving you. If he didn't love us, he would leave us in a lukewarm state, only to discover it on the last day. Instead, he calls to them with his grace, saying, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may be clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you might truly see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So what does God do with a lukewarm church? He shows up in his grace and in his kindness, and he warns them and he woos them. He says, I counsel you to buy from me. I want you to trade out your self-sufficiency and your sin for the righteousness of Christ. I want you to trade out your self-sufficiency and thinking that you see and coming to the word like it's just some, like, tangential non-necessity in your life. 
I want you to come to me and I want you to trade out your self-sufficiency for sight. And he's offering it to us for free. It's the same kind of buying that we saw last week from Isaiah 55 when he says, come to me and buy wine and milk without cost. That language doesn't make sense to us. If I'm buying it, then it's not without cost. He's like, exactly, come to me. I am offering it to you for free. I counsel you. Be zealous and repent. So this really comes to two audiences this morning. I would say to those who are outside of Christ, right? To, to any message to the church, there are people present physically in a church's building or a church's audience who are yet outside of Christ, who have never truly repented of their sin and placed their trust in Jesus. And so he is counseling them, exchange your righteousness and your attempt to earn God's favor on your own for the righteousness of Christ. Repent and believe the gospel that Jesus lived the life that you could never have lived on your own and he died the death that you should have died so that if you repent and come to him, he will give you the gift of forgiveness and eternal life. And that message comes to everybody in a church gathering. But don't miss this, church. Jesus, in this passage, is counseling the church. And he's saying, I am standing outside knocking. That must not be us, where Christ is on the outside and not the inside. Knocking, wanting in and not being met with an open door. So I would say, how do you know that that is not you this morning? We can't come to these texts and just assume like, man, I hope other people are hearing that. With, a, with an attitude and a mentality of, I am rich and in need of nothing. And I hope that all these other poor people open the door. When it is actually to us that he is counseling, buy from me. Trade out your self-sufficiency and your spiritual pride for humility and sight, true sight and hunger and thirst again for the living God. So this last point comes to how we do this as believers, and this one will be quicker. So we have the wonderful counselor from all eternity and the wonderful counsel as the wisdom of God incarnate to us. And now we have wonderful counsel, the wisdom of God imparted. The resurrected and exalted Lord Jesus now imparts his wisdom to us. He gives us wonderful counsel by his appointed means. So now he is the exalted king over all, that good ruler that was promised to us, who would be a source of counsel for his people, where the people can go to the king and receive counsel, wisdom from God. He himself is the source and the way of wisdom, and we gain wisdom for life and godliness through the knowledge of him. That's what we saw in our study in Second Peter. This is how we live a life that is pleasing to the fathers through the knowledge of Christ. And in Colossians, we read, in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. They're hidden. This is part of the ways of God where he waits, as Tozer said, he waits to be wanted. 
He's not hiding himself from you so that you will not find him. He's hiding himself. He's hiding this wisdom and counsel in him to draw you in. Just like Moses passed by the burning bush and God's word said it was when Moses stopped and turned aside that God spoke to him out of the fire. Or Jesus, when he's walking on the water, is walking past the disciples in the boat and he waits for them to call out to him. He made it as if he was going beyond them and he waited for them to say, is that you? Come. If that's you, call to me to come. Or Jesus on the Emmaus Road made it act like he was acting like he was going to go further. And he, he waits to be invited and drawn out in seeking him with all of our hearts. His counsel comes. This is, a, I think, a name of an article that Eric wrote one time to the diligent seeker. That's this what God delights in what he wants from us, what he's waiting for. His wonderful counsel from the wonderful counselor comes to those who diligently seek him. And so he says, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with what? With all your heart. If we seek him in passing, then ours will be a passing wisdom. We'll be operating independently in our own strength. We'll be seeking just enough wisdom that we think that we need, all the while maintaining our lukewarm status of being rich and in need of nothing. And so his counsel comes to us being zealous and repenting like Solomon in Proverbs 2. You see this embodiment of wisdom. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, listen to these verbs, treasure making your ear attentive to wisdom, inclining your heart to understanding. If you call out for insight, if you raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So very quickly, how do we do that? How, how do we treasure up his counsels, how do we seek them out and call aloud for them and, and have it to where our seeking and our searching results in God giving us more revelation of himself in Christ. That's what he's calling us to this morning, a hunger and a thirst for the wonderful counselor and his wonderful counsel. Well, he does so by his word. The whole word of God is wonderful counsel. So in Isaiah, remember he said, should not a people seek their God? To the word and to the testimony. So we come to God's word crying out to the wonderful counselor from Psalm 119 verse 18 says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I want to behold them. I don't just want the wondrous things to pass me by and to come and sit down and be like, didn't understand it, and then move on. Of course you didn't understand it. We need the wonderful counselor to open our eyes to behold wondrous things from his law. Later in the same chapter, David writes, your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. So you want understanding? You want counsel for your life? He imparts it and gives light by his word. I'm going to read this quickly. There's no time for commentary on this one. I just want this to be our heart towards the word of God. 
later or earlier in the chapter. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. So how, do we be, how are we zealous and repent and buy from him this refinement, this putting off of our old self and putting on the Lord Jesus and his righteousness, we go to his word and his word teaches us. This is where the wonderful counselor gives us wonderful counsel. So he does it by his word. He does it by his spirit. The spirit of God takes the truths of the word of God and he reveals them to us and he gives us understanding that we could not have on our own. You can go read 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10 through 12. I'm time to read the whole thing right now. It just says, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except for the Spirit of God. So if you want to know the mind of Christ and have the wonderful counsel of the wonderful counselor, we need God's Holy Spirit to unfold His Word to us, to unveil the very mind and heart of God to us in ways that we could not grasp on our own. In John 14, when Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit, He says, the helper, or your translation may say the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is how the Holy Spirit operates. He takes what is Christ and he glorifies Jesus in taking what is Jesus, glorifies Christ in taking what is his and disclosing it to us. So, The Holy Spirit speaks the Word of God over us. He calls us to know Him. So this is not His wonderful counsel by His Spirit always highlights and magnifies Jesus and exalts Him, not ourselves. So His wonderful counsel comes to us by His Word, by His Spirit, in prayer. In James chapter 1, He says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously without reproach, but let him ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man expect that he'll receive anything from the Lord, because he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And so we come to God in prayer with faith, saying, I need wisdom, but I reject my own wisdom and my own counsel, and I'm looking to you in faith for you to give me what I could not receive on my own. Would you counsel me by your word? And lastly, in community. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, Where there is no guidance, the people falls, and in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. God has given you the gift of other believers. And those believers are called to steep in God's word and to be being conformed to the image of Christ so that you have in the community of the church a multitude of wise counselors who are filled with wonderful counsel. This is what we saw from Colossians chapter 3 two weeks ago. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And so you are called to have the word of Christ dwelling in you richly so that as you're being conformed to the image of Christ, one of the ways that you're conformed to his image is in you yourself becoming a wonderful counselor where his word is bleeding out of you. Somebody comes to you for counsel or advice, and what comes out of you is the word of Christ and the gospel of Christ dwelling in you richly. And so this is how the word of, how the wonderful counsel comes to us in community is a twofold exhortation to you. One is for you to be filled with the word of Christ so that you are a wonderful counselor. And the other is to avail yourself of the community that is filled with the word of Christ so that you receive from them wonderful counsel. And there is nothing in your life that you should have to shield from godly people who are being shaped by God's word. They either give you wonderful counsel from God's word and it changes what you were thinking or it affirms how God was leading. But there is no place for this private, self-protective, I'm not, I'm not going to avail myself of the wonderful counsel as seen in God's people because I have wonderful counsel over here in private, but there is a way that seems right to a man. But it's their own, it's their own counsel, their own judgment. How do you know if what you think you are hearing from God in your own private devotional life is actually wonderful counsel from the wonderful counselor? He confirms his will and his direction and his wisdom in the community of faith. Because where there is no guidance, the people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Not because there is some counsel that is in addition to the counsel of the wonderful counselor. It's because the wonderful counselor fills his people with his counsels. And they become a spring of life. So, beloved... Remember I told you all the dudes in here when I call you beloved, you're like, ooh. Elijah called me sweetie the other day, so it's good. <laughs> it was an accident, but I, I did actually just tell everybody that from here. I'm sorry. <laughs> you are called beloved because it is your identity. It is your name. It communicates something about yourself, which is that you are loved by God. He comes to you. Maybe you came in here completely on fire. And he comes to you to throw logs on the flame. And maybe you came in completely lukewarm. And he calls to you, beloved, I counsel you. Buy from me. Come to me from my righteousness, from my counsels. I came. He has been from eternity past the very wisdom of God. And he came to unveil the wisdom of God and his plan for salvation and to make known to us by his wisdom the way to the Father and the way to righteousness. And now he calls to us from his throne saying, buy from me for free, true righteousness, true peace, true life. How do we do that? We go to his word, we yield to his spirit, we seek him in prayer, we avail ourselves of the counsel 
of the community of faith that he has given to us, coming to him who alone is the source of wonderful counsel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, how can we get low enough before you? You truly are the high and exalted one. Your name is and has always been Wonderful Counselor. We just marvel this morning that he who dwelled from eternity past as God the Son humbled himself to take on our humanity so that we might know the Father, so that we might be forgiven of our sin and given the gift of eternal life, so that we who were sinners, dead in our sins, might be made alive together with Christ and made sons. Lord, please, let not those who have been made alive by the Son neglect him and his counsels. God, would you forgive us of ways which we have been lukewarm? Lord Jesus, may we hear your counsel from heaven to put off stale state, this coasting spirituality, and may we press on to know you, to seek out all the wisdom and the knowledge of God that are hidden in Christ. You say, call to me, and I will show you great and hidden things. You have not known. And so I pray that we would, that you would stoke in us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, that you would humble us before your mighty hand, that we would no longer neglect you or your wisdom, but that we would come to you for life itself. In Jesus' name, amen.